0: Thanks for checking out this Church in the City podcast. For more information, please visit www.churchinthecity.us. Amen. Let's turn, if we can, to the book of John, John chapter 6, continuing our series uh, through the book of John. And uh, we're going to be picking up uh, specifically on the text in the middle of chapter 6, starting in verse 14, the passage that deals with Jesus miraculously walking on water. Um, Over the last uh, kind of 20 years or so, I've, had my fair share of encounters with uh, crazy storms. I remember once when I was uh, a senior in high school playing in a golf tournament in an area called Crichton, which Stephen will probably remember, um, and uh, we, we, we went down there on the Friday. It started to rain um, prior to the golf tournament, big, big golf tournament that was happening, and my friend who was from the area, it's a farming area, says to me, Steve, don't worry, it never rains in Crichton this time of year, totally fine. So wake up the next morning, not only is it raining, it's absolute deluge. And we end up playing in this pouring rain. And as it turns out, it was the first day of a seven day hurricane that had hit the area. Uh, Cyclone Des Moines, it was called. Uh, Flooding, the worst flooding in a hundred years that has ever happened. We played golf on day one of Cyclone Des Moines. Um, Another golfing story, maybe I should. Take the hint and not play golf. Um, another golfing story, just a couple months before we left South Africa to come here to the States, uh, I was playing golf um, at a golf course where my mother-in-law lived, a uh, beautiful golfing estate in Johannesburg. And Johannesburg is well known for their electric storms. And we were out on the 13th hole and uh, the siren went off to uh, warn all golfers of a, of a coming storm and that we needed to get off the golf course. And we were kind of in a, a fairly remote part of the golf course and couldn't find covering. So looked around and we, we, looked, we saw a house that was being built. So we decided, all four of us, plus our caddies, to walk across to, to, to that area. So um, I had a bit of a brain freeze, um, kind of pull out my umbrella because it started to rain. And I'm six foot six already and clear area, golf course, pull out the umbrella. Not the smartest thing to do. This is The next part of the story is kind of crazy, but this is the, the truth. That what happened. I'm walking down, walking down the, the fairway, and I look over to my right, and literally from the sky, this bolt of lightning strikes the ground six feet to my right. It didn't hit me. I'm the tallest thing around. It hits the ground six feet over there. And I was, just from the force of it, I was flung forward. My arm was kind of buzzy and crazy. And when I told my wife, she screamed at me, what were you doing? Walking around on the golf course with an umbrella up. But, uh, Another crazy, another crazy storm story. And I think all of you will remember the polar vortex of last year. I mean, uh, minus 50 degree weather. So we've all had our encounters with, with natural storms. But what the storms that I want to speak about this morning are, are the storms that we face in our hearts. And those storms can be just as varied. And to be honest, I think it's at times somewhat more intimidating and somewhat more overwhelming. Most of the times we, we know the storms that come at us are generally opposition that comes from the devil. Whenever we say yes to God, whenever we decide to, to make a decision for God, to obey something that God is putting on our hearts, let me tell you, the devil is awakened to oppose the very thing that God is doing in our hearts. Don't be surprised when you face opposition from the devil when you've stepped out in faith or obedience to what God has put on your heart to do. Sometimes those storms come because of our own weakness, our own struggle with cycles of sin or or battling to come to terms with our understanding of what it means to be in Christ, our identity, or or kind of a, a, a lack of belief, not taking God at his word. Sometimes storms come because of our own struggles that we have within us. Perhaps the most difficult kind of storm to understand are the storms that come because of the delays of God. I'm sure most of us can, can identify those times where we've, we've got a sense of the prophetic future that God has for us, a, 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 an idea of his calling upon our lives or upon our family. And, and we get a glimpse of it, but we struggle, we wrestle with working out the timing of God. The Bible says it is with faith and patience that we inherit the promise. And, and just to say, in those instances, it's not so much God causing the storm, but it's the storm that, that, that we cause ourselves because we're struggling with those particular delays, and with that, with that impatience. No matter the cause, no matter the the, the, the the reason for the storms that we're going through, I think there are a couple things that are generally common that we all face when we're going through difficult times. Number one, we always assume it's our fault. We always assume when we've missed God, when we Storms. We always assume that somehow we've stepped out of the will of God and He's now bringing storms to punish us. And I want to say, friends, that's not always the case. We're going to speak a little bit about that today. Secondly, the second thing that I think is, is very common to the storms that we face is that God uses the storms if we allow Him. God uses these, these storms to bring about the outworking of His perfect, pleasing will for our lives, This sermon and this series is too brief to get into deep detail about suffering and trials and difficulties and the, the source of evil and all of those things. And, and this is not what I want to speak about particularly. What I want to speak about today is how God responds and rescues us from those storms. But I want to say this. That God doesn't cause the storms. God doesn't bring evil upon us. God doesn't, isn't the author of pain and suffering. But miraculously, mysteriously, sovereignly, powerfully, lovingly, somehow God is able to use that to bring about the outworking of his plan and his purpose. Most of you, I'm sure, know the story of Joseph. Joseph, captured by his brothers because of their insecurity, sold into slavery, thrown into prison, and eventually gets gets elevated through a sequence of God's intervention, gets elevated to second in command in uh, the nation of Egypt. And he's he's, he's finally confronting his brothers. And he says this in Genesis chapter 50. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what has now been done, the saving of many lives. God uses evil. God... uh, 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 takes hold of those situations, and somehow mysteriously is able to use them to bring about his plan and purpose. The cross is the, is the perfect and most dramatic example of that. Jesus was crucified because of hatred in people's hearts, but God used it to bring salvation to, to people from all nations and all generations. And, and how's this for a bit of a kind of a mind twister? Genesis, uh, uh, Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3, when Peter is preaching the gospel to the very people who crucified Jesus, he's able to preach the gospel to them and offer salvation to them because they had killed Jesus. Think about that. God sovereignly able to use evil to bring about his plan and purpose. God works, Romans 8 tells us, all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God, God, uh, um, firstly, we always assume it's our fault. Secondly, God uses every storm. But thirdly, I want to say this, God will always bring us through. God will always, always bring us through. And maybe you're here today facing in the midst of one of those storms that I'm speaking about. Maybe there's uh, You've said yes to God. Maybe you've, you, you, you've, this year you've made some decisions to pursue God. And, and in spite of doing that, you, you're in the midst of, of facing opposition. The devil is, 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 is encroaching in on your space and you're not too sure where to turn. Maybe you're, you're struggling and frustrated with your own sense of weakness and, and failure and insecurity. Or maybe you've got a glimpse of God's calling in your life and, and, and you're struggling with the, the patience part. And, and maybe hopelessness and despair is starting to creep in. Maybe you have even asking the question for this area that you're struggling with. Where are you, God? Where are you, God? Why aren't you giving, giving me breakthrough? Why aren't you showing yourself to be faithful and strong and true, as your word says? Well, this morning, we're going to look at this passage in John chapter 6. And we're going to learn that Jesus teaches us something new about God. That he is the one who calms the roaring seas. He is the one who stills the storm. Let's read from verse fourteen together in John chapter six. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, this is referring to the feeding of the five thousand. That's the context of this particular passage. Jesus has just miraculously fed five thousand men. Most commentators agree that it's closer to probably eighteen to twenty thousand people, men, women, and children. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. And just to quickly add in... Matthew 14 and Mark chapter 6. Both passages deal with the same event. Give us a little bit more detail of some of the instances of what was taking place. Both Matthew 14 and Mark 6 mention the fact that Jesus went away to a mountainside to specifically go and pray. We'll, We'll come back to that in a few moments. He withdrew to a mountainside by himself to pray. Verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for... For Capernaum, again, Mark and Matthew actually uh, give us the indication that Jesus instructed his disciples to climb into the boat. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified. Let's just pause there for a moment. The Old Testament constantly uh, points to the Savior that is to come. The, there, was a, there was one to come. That's the, the Old Testament is always pointing to this coming king, the, the, the seed of Abraham, a prophet like Moses, a son of David, uh, a servant like Isaiah, and so on and so forth. Each of the Old Testament books always pointing to Jesus, always pointing to the one that was to come. And so when Jesus miraculously feeds the 5,000 or, or the 20,000, miraculously feeds them, not too dissimilar in a way to the miraculous manna and quail that God provided in the book of Exodus, the Israelites thought, surely this must be him. Surely this is the one that's come to rescue us. Surely Jesus is our king. On one hand, they got it completely right. Jesus is king. Jesus did come to reign and rule over his kingdom. But where they got it so wrong was they assumed that Jesus was coming to to reign and rule over a very earthly kingdom kingdom, that he was coming just to rescue them from the rule of Rome, when in fact we know Jesus comes, or Jesus has come, to reign and rule over his, his kingdom, which extends over all nations and over all generations. And so, just imagine the scene, 20,000 people caught up in this frenzy of having seen this incredible miracle taking place, and, and now wanting to rally around Jesus to, to exalt him as king. I can imagine the disciples getting quite excited about this. You know, the disciples' hearts are revealed quite often in the Gospels. Remember when James and John went to Jesus and said, Jesus, when you are crowned as king in glory, can I please sit at your left? And can James please sit at your right? I mean, that, that completely exposed their hearts. They were excited at the opportunity that, that possibly off the, off the coattails of Jesus' fame, their time had now come. And I love Jesus' response. He would not allow fame and the accolade of man to, dis- to distract him from the purpose of God. Let me tell you, friends, fame and man's praise is a very dangerous thing. I'm not saying we don't honor one another. I'm not saying we don't, we, we don't speak well of each other and encourage each other. But if we're living for the praise of man, let me tell you, we're going to get distracted from the purpose of God. Jesus actually says in John chapter 12 about the Jewish leaders who believed in them. It says they they loved, they they, they couldn't put their faith in Jesus. Why? Because they loved praise from men more than they loved praise from God. John chapter 5, Jesus says something very similar. He says, how can you believe me? How can you trust me if you accept or desire praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain praise that comes from God? What Jesus was doing in that moment when he insisted that his disciples climb into the boat and go on to the other side was he was saying this, it is more dangerous for you to remain here on the shore and be caught up in the accolades and praise of man than to climb into a boat and face the dangers of of crossing the Sea of Galilee in the middle of the night. I love that response. And then verse 17 through 19, uh, uh, John begins to describe the plight of the disciples And I think as we go through these three verses, I want you to think about the situation that you're perhaps facing right now. And I think this probably aptly describes some of the struggles and some of the difficulties that we might be facing. Verse 19 says, when they had rowed three or three and a half miles, they were a considerable distance from the shore. Mark 6 actually says they were right in the middle of the lake. When they were three to three and a half miles away from the shore, they were hit by a storm. There was no easy fix. There was no simple solution. They couldn't just quickly turn around and kind of help themselves out of, out of this particular uh, circumstance that they were in. Does that perhaps describe the storm that you might be facing? You're kind of asking God, God, I, I'm so deep in this. I have, I have nowhere to turn. And, and as counterintuitive as this is going to sound, I want to say perhaps that actually might be the best place for you to be for this reason. What can you learn about yourself and what can you learn more importantly about God if a little bit of self-help and a street smart can get you out of the situation? One of the main reasons, and we're going to see this at the end of the sermon, one of the main reasons, one of the main things that God does through storms is he reveals aspects of his character that we did not already know He wants to show himself faithful. He wants to show himself as the one who can rescue us. God is not impressed with your street smarts. God is not impressed with your human effort. God is not impressed with your attempts to rescue yourself. Let him rescue you. Let him bring deliverance. Verse 18 says, A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. Matthew 14, he actually describes this. He says, the boat was buffeted. That word buffeted means to be beaten, means to be battered, even means to be tormented. They were being tormented by the waves. And friends, that's often what happens. That's often what it feels like, I think, when we face storms and the devil begins to see this as an opportunity begin to begin to lie to us and to begin to torment us with condemnation and accusation and lies about what God is or isn't doing in that situation. Can I say, friends, it is so vital when we go through storms to guard our hearts. Because if we don't guard our hearts, the storms that we're facing on the outside will very quickly start taking root in our hearts. If you were the son of God, if you were a daughter of God like you say you were, do you think God would really allow this to happen to you? Don't begin to cry out to him. It's not going to help. He's forgotten you. He's not going to rescue you. He's punishing you. You've been bad. You're, you're living in sin. How can you ever hope that God would rescue you from this? Friends, those are lies, and we need to guard our hearts. Philippians chapter 4, and I'm not going to teach on this, but it tells us wonderfully how to guard our hearts. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Paul goes on, and he explains later that the the, the, the uh, the, uh, the peace of God will guard our hearts in Christ Jesus. As hard as it is, friends, when we face storms, I want to say worship is your greatest weapon. Putting on worship, singing songs, reminding yourself of who you are in Christ is how you guard your hearts from the storms that we face on the outside, from finding a place to root in our hearts. And then verse 17 tells us that it was dark, And the disciples were alone. Let's be honest, I think there are times when we feel that way. I think sometimes we we feel the the pressure to put on a smile and not to be totally honest with one another when we're going through difficult times. There are times I felt completely alone, at times I felt abandoned, the times I felt I've looked around everywhere and it seemed like God had forgotten me. Those are sometimes the, the, the struggles that we face. Psalm 69 says this, Save me, O Lord, for the flood waters are up to my neck. Deeper and deeper I sink into the mire. I cannot find a foothold. I am in deep water, and floods overwhelm me. I am exhausted from crying out for help. My throat is parched. My eyes are swollen with weeping, waiting for my God to help me. Friends, I want to say, don't think that just because you're in a storm, you've missed God. And can I also say the converse, don't think that if you obey God, you're going to live a storm-free life. God uses everything that the world will throw at us, everything that the devil throws at us, everything that our own weakness will throw at us. He uses that to transform ordinary people like you and me to those who can do extraordinary things in his name. Don't be surprised, don't be, don't be confused when you, when you face storms, when you face trials of many kinds, the Bible teaches us. Because God is wanting to use those things to shape us and to mold us. Listen to First to, uh, Peter chapter 1, in this, he says, uh, Peter says, First Peter 1, in this, in this great salvation that we have, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, even though refined by fire, may may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus is revealed. 2 Corinthians 4, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Friends, one of the key ways to to find our way, uh, make sense through the storms, is to have a view of eternity. I was saying to Debs this week, we live so much with the here and now in mind, and we forget that these 70 or 80 or 90 years that we have on earth are just, as a friend once used to say, a burp in all of eternity. Just a burp in all of eternity. Mother Teresa says this, in lights of of eternity, the worst suffering on earth, a life full of the most atrocious treasures, uh, uh, sorry, the uh, most atrocious tortures, will be seen to be no more serious than one night in an inconvenient hotel. Having an eternal view, an eternal perspective on some of the things that we go through. We, so get, we get so distracted when we face storms by asking the question, why? Why is this happening? Why is this happening? The Bible tells us why this is happening. God is achieving for us an eternal glory. God is wanting to pour out His strength where we are weak. God is wanting to pour out His glory where we lack His glory. That's why we go through trials of many kinds. The question we need to be asking ourselves is what? What does God want to teach me when I go through hardships? What is God wanting to do through this? when I go through difficult times. When we face times of, 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 of face-to-face with our own weakness, it's, time, it's, it's in those times that God shows His amazing grace. When we're, when we're overwhelmed by the opposition of the devil, those are the times God wants to show us His power and His strength and His authority. When we're struggling with delay, God shows us His faithfulness that He hasn't forgotten us. And so let's have a look As this passage continues, what does Jesus do in the last 10 minutes? How does Jesus respond? How does God respond to us when we go through storms and difficulties? Firstly, Jesus sees us. Jesus sees us. Contrary to what the devil will tell you, contrary to to what you might think when you're going through times, the devil, uh, sorry, Jesus never takes his eyes off you. Jesus never leaves you nor forsakes you. Where was Jesus in this storm? He was was up on a mountain praying and interceding. And in that place where it was so dark, and you guys know if you're out in the countryside, in the middle of the night, it is pitch black. There was no way he could see with natural eyes his disciples. But because he was praying for them, he was watching over them and interceding for them. And I love the reality that, that Jesus comes to rescue the disciples before the disciples even cry out to Jesus for help. Notice the disciples haven't cried out to Jesus saying, Jesus, come and help us. No, but Jesus knows just how much they can handle. 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that. God will never let you down. God will never abandon you. He will not allow you to be pushed past your limits. He all, he's always there to help you. To come through it. Nothing is hidden from God's sight. Every struggle you're going through, every difficulty you're facing, God knows. Jesus is praying for you. Jesus is interceding for you. And at the right time, he's going to rescue you from that, 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 that struggle and that difficulty. He not only sees us, but secondly, he saves us. And I love this picture of Jesus praying up on the mountainside in his father's presence. And he sees his disciples struggling and he walks straight down off the mountain and refuses even to allow water and gravity to get in the way. Walks straight across the water to come and rescue his disciples. Nothing gets in the way of Jesus rescuing us. And their response was to be terrified. But look at verse 20, how Jesus responds to them. He says, but, but he said to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. Jesus is not making a suggestion here, friends. Jesus is not saying, well, it would be a good idea. Let let me pitch this concept at you. Don't be afraid. No, he's commanding them. Do not be afraid. Take courage. Why? Because I'm here. Because I'm here. In the original Greek, the word actually is not just, it's not, it is I. This is actually a, bad translations to make to, in order to make it more readable what Jesus is actually saying is this do not be afraid take courage I am in other words do not be afraid take courage the I am is here that's what Jesus is actually saying and you'll, most of you will know the I am is the name God gives himself it's the way that God reveals himself The I am was the one who provided for Abraham when Abraham was needing to make a sacrifice and he was about to give up his son. The I am was the one who came and brought provision to Abraham so that he wouldn't have to sacrifice his son. The I am is the one who remembered Joseph. When Joseph was forgotten in the prison and everyone had forgotten him, the I am was the one who remembered Joseph. The I am was the one who called Moses. As insecure and as uncertain and as, as, as forgotten as Moses felt, the I am was the one who stepped into his life and called him and placed him into an incredible calling and destiny. The I am was the one who delivered the nation of Israel from the most powerful, oppressive force on the planet, the nation of Egypt. The I am was the one who delivered them. The I am was the one who anointed Isaiah for the calling and destiny on his life. The I am was the one who rescued Daniel from the lion's den. The I am was the one who restored Peter after Peter had denied Jesus three times. The I am spoke life into his heart and restored him. And the I am was the one who saved Paul. The most ardent, the most violent man who opposed the gospel. The I am stepped into his life and rescued him. So, this morning, I want to ask Do you need provision in your life just like Abraham does or did? Do you feel forgotten like Joseph? Do you feel inadequate for the call like Moses? Do you need deliverance from oppression just like Israel did? Do you need an anointing for the task like Isaiah? Do you need to be rescued from trouble just like Daniel? Or do you need to be forgiven and restored like Peter? Or do you need to be rescued from your own self-importance and self-reliance like Paul? Jesus didn't come to his disciples and say, Don't worry, the I was is now here. He didn't come and say, Don't worry, the I will one day be is here. He said to him, The I am is here. The same yesterday, the same today, and the same forever. I want to ask you to do something a little bit strange. But I want to ask you right now to remember a storm, not the storm that you might be facing right now, but a storm from the past. I want you to remember a storm from the past where God showed himself faithful and true. I want you to remember a time where you felt opposed and God delivered you, where you felt abandoned and God remembered you, where you felt weak in your own ability and God called you. Can you think of a time like that? Well, friends, God allows us to go through those things and shows himself faithful in those moments so that we can remember it and and stand firm on his word in the struggles you face right now. Why? Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God that rescued you from that struggle, whatever it is, is the same God who's able to rescue you from this storm that you find yourself in. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He sees us. He saves us. And then finally, lastly, we see him. We see a revelation of God through these storms like we've never seen him before. In verse 21, then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. I love the way Matthew and Mark put it. Listen to this. Then Jesus climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, and they worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. By calming their storm, Jesus was showing himself to be God to his disciples. Why? Because they knew the Old Testament. They fully expected God to be able to calm the storms. The Psalms are full of verses where God repeatedly is, 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 is exalted as the one who calms the storms. Psalm 65, O oh God, our Savior, who stills the roaring seas. Psalms 89, when the waves mount up, you still them. Psalm 107, You still the storm to a whisper. Friends, as as, as difficult and as hard and as much of a struggle as those storms are, let me tell you, we get to see God in ways we've never seen Him before. That's the beautiful truth of John chapter 6. That we get to see God as the God who delivers us from the storms. The God who comes to, just with a word, quieten those raging and roaring seas maybe you're here today and you are facing one of those storms maybe you're here today and you you find yourself in the midst of one of these very struggles when i was praying i felt very specifically that maybe some had had are trusting god wonderfully in so many areas but there's a particular struggle that you are facing where i kind of feel like you've almost turned your back on god You've said, God, you've shown yourself faithful in so many ways, but in this area, my heart is hopeless. My heart is struggling. I'm battling to see your faithfulness in this. I feel like God today wants to reveal himself to you in a way you've never seen before. I feel like God today wants to remind you of those times where he's delivered you in the past. The reason why David could stand in front of Goliath and say, you uncircumcised Philistine, I come against you in the name of the God of Israel. The reason why he could say that is because God delivered him from the hand of the bear and the mouth of the lion. God showed David, God showed himself faithful to David in the small things, so that when he faced Goliath, he knew he was the same God then and the same God now. And I want to say, friends, no matter what the devil would say to you, the struggle that God has brought you through in the past, he is the same God and is able to deliver you now. And so if that's you, friends, if that's you, can I ask just for you to close your eyes and to receive this morning? God, I pray in Jesus' name, I pray for a revelation of you to come into their hearts those, Lord God, who, who have lost hope, those, Lord God, who, who have almost turned their back on you and said, God, I cannot trust you in this area. I don't know how to trust you in this area. Father, I thank you that your response to them is not judgment and condemnation. I thank you, Lord God, that you love them passionately and dearly. And, and Lord, right now, I, with, with the authority of the name of Jesus, I come against the, those accusations and those lies that the devil has sown into their hearts. And I speak death to those seeds that are lying in people's hearts, trying to take root, to twist and to harden their hearts to you. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that those, even if if hopelessness has taken root, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would reach into their hearts even now and rip out those roots of hard-heartedness, rip out those roots of hopelessness, Lord. They are not from you. Father, I pray. Lord, that beautiful scripture that we read on, on Wednesday night out of um, Ezekiel 47, the, the river of God bringing healing to the nations. I pray, Lord, would you just flow through and upon and in those people right now, Lord. And where there is, where, where there is tenderness in their hearts, where there is hopelessness in their hearts, where there is fear in their hearts or anxiety, Lord, would you bring just that healing self that your river is. Just restore their hearts. Just heal their hearts. Fill their hearts with your love, Lord. I pray, Father, for for a revelation of you in this. Lord, we can pray for breakthrough. We can pray for the calming of the storm. And Lord, I trust that we will have time to do that. But Lord, most importantly, I pray for people's eyes to be opened to the reality of who you are the picture that the devil has, 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 has sold them, Lord, let that God come crash, crashing down. Let that image be destroyed right now in Jesus' name. And let the, tr- the truth and the reality of who you are, Lord, let that be elevated. Show us your glory, Jesus. In the midst of our struggles, show us your strength. In the midst of our weakness, Jesus, show us your power. In the midst of opposition, Jesus, show your power and your authority. In the midst of our own failures, Lord God, show us your grace. Oh, Father, I pray. I pray for breakthrough. I pray for healing. I pray for for hope. For hope, Lord. I pray for heads to be turned back to you. For eyes to be fixed back on you, Jesus. For hearts to be to be yielded and surrendered again to you, Jesus. Would you come and do that, Lord, I pray. Just before we finish praying, can I just ask you to keep your eyes closed? Perhaps you're, you're here today and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. I want to say today is the day for salvation. Today is the day that God... Uh, as he has before, but continues to offer you the invitation of receiving his son, the gift of the Son, the gift of Jesus, to come into your hearts and to be your Lord and to be your Savior. You might not fully understand that, but perhaps there's just this yearning in your hearts. Perhaps your heart is beating fast and you, you're saying, Steve, I, I don't understand it all, but, but, but how do I get to know him? How do I receive him? How do I make him my Savior and Lord? I want to say it simply by saying Jesus I trust in you I I take the faith and the effort that I that that I focused in on myself and I I trust in you Jesus I trust that you died for me I trust that you have have cleansed my sins and I invite you to come into my heart is that you today Can, can can I invite you right now right where you're seated just to open your hearts and say Jesus would you come in would you come into my life would you come and be my lord and savior I receive you today as my Lord if you've prayed that prayer I would love to meet you afterwards Chris would love to meet you afterwards any of the prayer team that are going to be up here please come and introduce yourself and we'd love to pray with you and, and just kind of ask for God to just radically touch you in a powerful way this morning Lord Jesus heal our hearts we, we want to trust you in the good times and in the difficult times we want to know you in a deeper more profound more meaningful way and we thank you, Lord, that you are so Lord, you are so King, that you are able to use even the most difficult times for, for our best, for, our, for your will to be outworked in our lives. We trust you, Jesus. We trust you with everything that we have. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.